Om Mani Padmi Hum. Religion, science, myths, and legends all point toward the next evolution in human consciousness. What do the invisible realms hold? Who's telling us and how do they know? We're investigating insights from around the world to answer the question, what does the material world arise out of and where do we go once we've dropped the body? You're about to go interdimensch with Robert Wallace and Adam Jeffrey to Undiscovered Spiritual Realities. My own brother, sister. Knock, knock. Who is it? It's the dearly departed. And we can see you, but you can't see us. Okay, then... We're talking about God giving and taking away what you need to know to survive a mugging. That's right. And how we treat the homeless, what it means in ways to improve. And then later on, we're going to talk about the primary spiritual forces in this life. Christ, Lucifer, Araman. Who are they and what do they want? And then if we have time, we'll discuss my immediate past life and how you can see yours too. God willing. We're back. So, Adam, um, for those not watching on Facebook Live, you'll see that he is hatless in I'm Seattle hatless. today. Hatless. Yeah. We had a, a confrontation last episode. <laughs> we confronted what, where is the place of a hat in the Christian life? <laughs> and so until he can answer that riddle, he's been banned from wearing hats. I just never realized that Robert was such a biblical literalist until then. But, but next week we're bringing the shears and we're going Franciscan in here. So. Uh, we're putting a hole yeah. in my uh, patch of land up here, <laughs> and I'm going to get an immediate, uh, yeah, cord to heaven. Um, so we're talking about uh, dead people. Where do they, where are they at? You know, so a lot of times when we're on the show, we're talking about things from their perspective a lot. And now we're going to talk about the dead from our perspective a little bit. Hmm. So, um, have you heard this idea that there's dead people living in us? Never. That, this is an interesting idea. So, apparently, we're hosting dead people who are living vicariously through us. People. Now, this goes back to ancient Rosicrucian mystery school traditions and things like that, okay? Wow. And the idea is that there are multiple beings who are living vicariously through us, through our actions, through what we do, um, and they are completing and learning their lessons and, and getting pleasure out of watching us do our daily things. Wow. Isn't that something? That explains a lot. It does. <laughs> so if, you, if you're going through a lot of immers- emotional turmoil and you're hearing a lot of crazy voices, it could be that businessman who had to take the plunge is now living with you. Um, also, uh, talking to dead people, that's considered not advisable usually. Right. But, um, everything about the show is not advisable. So we're going to tell you how to talk to dead people today. (laughs) Okay. So according to Rudolf Steiner, our messages to the dead are conveyed at the moment we drop off to sleep, which means if you spend any part of your day talking and thinking about somebody who's deceased Hmm. you're thinking and feeling the emotions that you felt when they were alive with you that's enough to basically those are the wings you can put your message on basically so the thoughts you're thinking or even if you're reading spiritual science with that person on your mind Hmm. when you drop off to sleep that is sent to the deceased person now you know biblically the dead know nothing they can't add to their knowledge and in fact the only people they're able to dis- talk to until they've been elevated into the spiritual dimensions out of Kamaloka and the, the initial orientation phases, which take a little bit of time, are those people that they had a connection with on Earth. So if we know somebody who's crossed over and we know this knowledge, we might be the only one who can send them uh, anthroposophy, which is spiritual science, mm-hmm. uh, which is the information that they can use to decode what's happening to them in their environment and, and move forward. 
because knowledge is power, even over there. Wow. Isn't that something? It, it's really pretty cool stuff. I think immediately of the movie Beetlejuice. Uh-huh. Oh, I, yeah. I can't help but think of that movie. You know, yes. I, I, I know very little about this topic. Very, very... Well, like, you know Beetlejuice. I, I, I know what you've just said, and I know Beetlejuice. And yeah. that's, that's pretty much what I know about this. <laughs> you know, it's funny, the anthroposophic Beetlejuice connection is I was just in uh, Dornach, Switzerland in December, where I went to the Gertianum, which is Rudolf Steiner's anthroposophical headquarters, which wow. uh, for anybody who doesn't know what I just said, I'm talking about a big building that studies spiritual science. And uh, it's designed in this very funky architecture, and it's very reminiscent of Beetlejuice. And I got really? there, I was like, everything looks like Beetlejuice. It came right out of Beetlejuice. The the weird sculptures that look like they were alive, wow. getting ready to come alive, <laughs> and just really weird shape. And I'm convinced that they took their design from the Gertiano, from Rudolf Steiner. That, That's that actually pretty cool. Yeah. <laughs> so... When a person dies, they go through something called kamaloka, according to Steiner. Now, kamaloka is basically a period right after your death where you go through your entire life backward from other people's perspectives. And so he hmm. gives us he gives this example, and, and it goes a bit faster. It's uh, a more expedited backward journey. It's not as slow as this life. So I think it's like one third of the time that you lived here is how long that phase takes. But he says, like, let's say you die at 90, but at the age of 60, you slap somebody in the face. Okay. Mm. So you're going, you, you die, and then you're going backward now from 90 to 89, and you're experiencing your experiences pretty rapidly from the other perspective, then you're 88, then 87, and then you get to 70, then let's say you get to 60. All of a sudden now, you, that was the age you were when you slapped somebody. Now you get slapped. Now you feel the slap that you gave this other person. Wow. So all the things that you've done to other people are now going to be done to you in, in this Kamaloka phase. And it's going to do a couple of things. It's going to teach you the effect of your actions. Mm-hmm. It's going to show you a side of the situation you didn't know about, maybe the, the suffering of the other person. You'll experience the pain that you gave the other person. And what that does is it sets a person up for when they're reincarnated to have specific pains that they've caused other people that they can only make right through another life. So they say, oh, I, I really hit, I really hurt Adam. And the only way I can make this right is if I come back in another life and, you know, I make him a bowl of soup or something, you know, hmm. whatever the thing is. Yeah. And so that prompts us to kind of write that into our next life, you know, to kind of undo or balance out the damages wow. that we've done is this experience of going through and seeing all this stuff. It's called Kamaloka. Look That's very, very cool. Now, does that correlate in any way with how people say that if they have a near-death experience, their life flashes before their eyes? You know, it 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 does and it, and it doesn't. It does in that it's the same way as you're seeing your life. But Steiner also talks about, at the moment of death, seeing your whole life spread out in front of you as in a on a giant tableau. Hmm. I, I'm assuming like an IMAX screen, a, a, a big area where you're wow. seeing all a bunch of images or thumbnails of different okay. scenes of your life. Hmm. As a matter of fact, when people learn to look back at their Akashic records and their past lives, they will see uh, a similar sort of thing. I, he's described uh, like a wall with pictures from different lives, like key moments of these different lives, and decorated in a circle and um, I think representing the, the Zodiac. And we'll talk about the significance of the Zodiac later also, mm. perhaps. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's a little bit different. That's kind of like in a flash. This yeah. is kind of the longer form of that. Right. Before we're like, and and I don't know right off the top of my head to what degree we're like, you know, initiated or welcomed into heaven before we're thrown off into that crucible to experience those memories, you know. Gotcha. I imagine we're like in a, a tumbler, you know, and they just throw our like eye, you know, or personality into it and then just rolls around with his memories and ah, he's crying and screaming and when he comes out he'll be better okay uh, <laughs> um what about reuniting with loved ones when my grandma died in uh 1993 she came to me in a dream a couple of days later and uh i was just a child small baby child i was probably six or seven and uh i woke up in the dream and she was flying over me, 
as an angel, all in white, blasted out with light. Her face was just light. I just knew it was her because of these uh, unknown psychic impulses that apparently surround all people that I guess we'll recognize when it's there and we can recognize them. And behind her in a V formation were uh, other dead relatives that I didn't know. Really? Her, her uncles, brothers, stuff like that. Yeah. And I, I knew these people when I was looking at them, like a knowledge of them came to me. Yeah. But I did not know them in the flesh. Gotcha. And she was saying, take care of your mom. It's going to be okay. Wow. Yeah. So then I told my mom that. And then years later, she told me that my uncle had also had, at the same time, a dream of my grandma also coming to him. Wow. He since passed. But uh, I thought that was kind of interesting. Of course. Because I, that never left me. Super interesting. That yeah. was one of my first experiences with dead people. And also, and I don't know who this was. Okay, so I'll say that. I was at my my aunt's house when she lived up in Michigan. This was back in the day. And I was just a little child. And I was playing around in the front yard. And there was this little, I would call it like a little sun. It was this little ray of light that was floating around in front of me. And I was trying to capture it in my hand, and it would go right through my hand. And it was it was as bright as the sun, but as small as an atom. But because it was so bright, you know, it was just raying off rays of light, and it was floating around. Okay. So, uh, anyway, it was, playing, it was playing with me in front of me. And years later, I found uh, there was this book cover by this uh, medium, and the front of his book is a child reaching out to grab the exact huh. same particle of light. Wow. So that tells me people are experiencing this. So if you have experienced that, let's talk about it. So I have a question for you. Yeah. I have talked with people who have had dreams after they've lost a close loved one, and their experience was not necessarily a good one. It was more of what they would call like a nightmare. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah. So... You know, I, I my my question, I guess, is what? How would you interpret that? Do you? Is, That's a good question. Yeah, and, and and interestingly, they were super close with these people, and it's it's almost as if the person came back uh, in a form they never saw them in, almost more nightmarish. So, know? so they weren't like burnt up, crawling out of hell. They were just deformed and represented in a different. Now. Steiner, Swedenborg, and many others talk about when we die, yeah. According, depending on our personality, we're going to look like something different. Hmm. So some of us look pretty pleasant, but when you wipe away the flesh, we're beasts. We've got, you know, cow legs, and we're, you know, monstrous. <laughs> oh, we wow. might have horns, depending yeah. on, you know, if somebody has particular, you know, addiction, hmm. you know, lust tendencies, if they're a, a miser, like every every kind of sin has its own unique deformation. Interesting. Okay. So maybe maybe that's what it is. It, it could be. Yeah. See, I don't know the guy, and it, and also could have been you know it could have been mocked up out of for you know the person's psychology. But if he's like, I had an encounter with this person, it was supernatural. I tend to believe that you know. Yeah. You can you'll know when you're having yeah. something different than a dream. So very yeah. interesting. Yeah, and in most of their interpretations, they were just simply having a dream. And they, you know, they said, "Okay, I had this nightmare." Okay, okay. Where this loved one was there talking to me, but it wasn't a pleasant experience. You know, e either the person died in a car accident or something, and then they saw them bloodied up. You know, more specifically, something along those lines. So, yeah. I don't know. You know, is that just their their subconscious holding on to something, or do you think there's more to it than that? You know, um, in the dream world, when we have dreams, the characters and the beings around us who are playing my brother, who are playing, you know, so-and-so that I saw down the street one day, yeah. and they're all part of this act. They're actually spirits who are putting flesh-like costumes on, and they're playing these roles. They're pretending to be, so you're convinced you're having this experience, but really, wow. they're all dressed up, and they're acting this thing out for you. Okay. So if it wasn't that person, it would be a spirit covered up and gotcha. reflecting back personality. So there's another possibility. There's always another possibility. Cool. Steiner uh, talks about, and this is something that I, I'm just listening to. He's talking about uh, the book of uh, Matthew. And what we really need to learn to do is to see everything from 12 perspectives, hmm. which is the Zodiac. 
Oh, wow. We need to be able to look at any given situation through the eyes of Capricorn, through the eyes of a Virgo, through the eyes of a Gemini, <laughs> knowing their characteristics, knowing what's important to them, knowing their weaknesses, and right. see it from all of these angles hmm. if we're going to have a real conceptual understanding. I like that. It means I got to do more study on my zodiac. Oh, big time. I'm yeah. pretty good on my Taurus and my Cancer. You know, <laughs> I have a vested interest in how they do. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I'm learning that stuff as we speak. Yeah, yeah. So. it's awesome. Yeah, it's fun. Um, purgatory. You know, it's not just for Catholics anymore. Um, what is purgatory? Well, according to Steiner, uh, purgatory is this place, this fire of purification. So all of the things that we learn to love that on earth while we're in the body that can only be experienced through a fleshly organism through the ability to touch taste hear, this sort of thing things that require a body they leave a void in us because now we're in the state we don't have the ability to experience these sensations but the cravings for those experiences don't go away hmm. so if we were a glutton for instance and we love food and we love the taste of food now you don't have a tongue okay so now you have all these cravings but no way to satisfy them hmm. So it's explained that basically we are uh, experiencing like a really intense thirst in the desert. And until the, you know, as we're thirsting out, basically we're in the process, we're detaching and it hurts. It's painful, like a fire of purification. That's where the fire comes from because it's, I guess it can take a burning sort of form. Yeah. Uh, not having these uh, needs met. And so at the point that a person finally is able to let go and say, okay, I can leave that plate of spaghetti. I don't have to desire it anymore or whatever the thing is. Then they pass through that stage. Then they've let go and they've let kind of the dross of the desires of the astral body or the soul hmm. fall away and they can move on into the spirit world. Now see, that makes a whole lot more sense to me than the idea, than the fundamentalist's idea of this everlasting torment and hell. Oh. You know, Let's and talk I, about it. that's that's what I've always had trouble with. You know, is, I, I I just can't I can't uh, I, I've said this before. Yeah, this idea that this this God loves us unconditionally, but if you don't believe a certain thing, I'm gonna make you suffer forever. You know what? <laughs> Come on, that makes know, zero sense. On one hand, it seems like you know about ten billion years into it. Some people are going to start having change of hearts, you know. Can we redeem these people? Is you right. know you think like, uh oh, no, they, it's too late for that. Yeah, you know? too late for them. They just suffer forever now. <laughs> well, here's here's the thing, because there is sort of a place for this concept of hell that comes after a judgment. There is, you know, Dante's Inferno that kind of breaks down, you know, the levels or mm -hmm. you know the. But what Swedenborg talks about, which we were talking about last week, right, right, is that. Everybody is sorted whenever they are finally like committed into heaven or hell and they're out of the reincarnation cycles. They're committed to communities of like-minded people. Right. So right. even if a person like, oh, I love to go around killing people, okay, they're going to be put in a community of people who also like that. And so they'll have <laughs> this experience of killing him and then he dies and comes back to life and then he kills it. And everybody's going around in this eternal State. Now, this is their love, though. For them, yeah. this is what brings them joy. Yeah. You know, for, you know, loving beings, it's a hellish place. Yeah. And, and they are in a demoralized place. But for right. them, it's a pleasure. Yeah. So that is a, another way I would look at hell is, you know, yeah, compared to the light of God and the presence of God, you know, you're cut off and you're in this dark state. But yeah. for those people there, they like that. And so Swedenborg points out, this is actually, you know, God's mercy is that, yeah, everybody can be as happy as they can possibly be, wherever they're at. Right. No matter how demoralized they are. Yeah. They're going to be in the most comfortable place for them because heaven for them would be scorching pain. It would be all kinds of things, <laughs> suffocation. Right. If you know they're not into that. Right and and I remember Curtis saying um, that this is kind of up against the idea that God throws people into this everlasting fire. That it's not really God throwing them there as much as it is their desire drawing them. Yeah, there, like like you just kind of reiterated. So again, I like that a lot better than the idea that God goes, "Oh nope, everlasting fire for you." Yeah, you yeah. know that that really it's it's them going, I, "I love this particular thing." So you've kind of picked your own path, and and I think of um, I think of um, like a Christmas Carol, Dickens, Charles Dickens, you know, where he says, um, where um, 
Scrooge is visited by these ghosts, and and uh, they come back and they say that it's the chains that you forged mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that bind you. Exactly. Now that makes a lot of sense to me. That makes exactly. way more sense than you know. The, yeah. The idea that we're just thrown into this, that, that everybody, all the, all the bad little boys and girls are thrown into everlasting fire. It's actually the chains that you forged. That's a beautiful point. Yeah. And I think it wraps up nicely with this idea of karma and reincarnation. I think uh, when it comes to like, well, what is the nature of punishment? What is the nature of good luck, bad luck? Or why things are happening? Okay. Karmic. What were you thinking, you know, when you did these actions? Because now they're manifesting. And as we start to clean our thoughts the manifestations start to clear up and we realize that our thoughts are as good as actions in the spiritual plane hmm. and they are bringing us tangible results. Right. And the, and reincarnation I think is important to the con to the conversation of hell and all of these sorts of things, because without that big picture of having been born and, and making mistakes and now you're in another life to re you know, to improve your strengths, to refine those past mistakes, we don't really have a big picture. Like, who can come in on one shot in this life and do it all right? Right. Or they die and go to hell forever. I mean, right. Absolutely. So the ancient, you know, ancient Christian belief of reincarnation, I mean, is so vital to understanding. So there's so many people who don't believe because it doesn't make any sense. Because the most logical part of the thing has been like, a, you know, kicked out of the church, which is the reincarnation part. Right. Half the stuff they make sense then, if you can, you know, the Jews believe in reincarnation. Yeah. That's where we get our Bible from. You go to askmoses.com, you look up reincarnation. Oh, yeah, we believe in it. Yeah. Well, why the, what happened? Jesus was a Jew. You yeah. Know, the early Christian fathers were believers in reincarnation. Right. And we've talked about that before, that, yeah. that Jesus himself talked, talked about, about it. it. Yep. Yeah. And, and, of course, that gets dodged or, oh, you're interpreting that wrong or you're twisting that or whatever. But he says it pretty plainly. You yeah. know, he says, they say, well, isn't uh, Elijah supposed to come back before the Messiah? And he says he has, John the Baptist. Right. You know, I mean, that's yeah. one very direct, but there are other places, you know, that, that he mentions it pretty directly as well. Yeah. Where the apostles are asking, hey, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he should be born blind? Exactly. Yeah. You know, enlightening us to the idea that people could sin prior to their birth to be born in certain circumstances as a result. So, yeah, if you didn't know that... You know, and that took me many years because, you know, when I first started, you know, my more fundamentalist Christian, you know, background, I made a list of three or four things to God that I would never believe. And reincarnation was at the top of them. Hmm. I thought I knew my faith at that point. I'd been in and out of enough churches to know that these are three things I'm not going to ever believe. Yep. And I can't remember what the other two are, but I'm pretty sure I believe them now. (laughs) So whatever you think you're not capable of, just keep going because you'll run into it. People are waiting to be born. So there's actually like a desire. People are on the other side and they're eager, but there's just not enough bodies and enough correct circumstances for people's purposes to be able to be born. So you, we are in a very fortuitous situation here that we get to inhabit these bodies that our thoughts and our feelings can manifest in this physical plane and have these powerful you know, results here. Because there's a lot of spiritual beings who wish they were in our shoes, making the changes, having the experiences, you know, influencing the world, you know, with their presence and actions and things like that. And they can't do it. So you're here, you're alive. So, you know, don't waste it. Right. Do something, you know, that you'll wish that you would have done when you're on the other side and can't do it anymore. Because this is the time, if you didn't know. And also... When it comes to this uh, subject on a more long-term scale, as far as peace and joy and heaven, you know, Steiner, Swedenborg, others talk about that we will not be able to be at peace in our joy until everybody in the universe is happy. That means as long as there's somebody still suffering, Hmm. we won't, and nor should we be able to experience the fullness of joy and bliss that can be had because we're all connected. Yeah. If one child's suffering on the other side of the world, I'm still suffering. Yeah. Okay. And we know that, what, there's like 10,000 kids dying a day of hunger, you know? The, the picture's a lot worse. But even in best case scenario, if there's just one person left, their right. job is still not done. Wow. So, you know, woe unto him who laughs now, for he'll weep later. Yeah. You know, blessed there is he who weeps now, for he'll. Scriptures also talk about. Uh, Possesses, though. Oh, actually, we'll get to that. Um, 
talks about when you're full, remember those who have nothing in their stomach. Yeah. You know, that goes into the homeless too, but it also is kind of a good segue because, again, we're all connected. Exactly. And we're going to talk about the homeless. We're going to talk about thugs. Let's talk about thug life. Okay. And hopefully not being a part of it. Okay. At the risk of, you know, while attracting anything, we're going to talk about this because it needs to be discussed. I have been uh, violated in this way before. And uh, the biggest thing to remember, I think, is Jesus's words on, you know, people who are doing this to you, which is give unto him who asks of you. And from him who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic also. And that can go for your coat and your shirt. Okay. Um, because there's a couple reasons. I mean, the most practical level is you don't want to get stabbed over something stupid that you have. <laughs> right. Okay. Secondly, you know, God giveth, God taketh away. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Well, sometimes things are given to us like we find something that somebody else dropped. Sometimes we benefit from somebody else's misfortune. And sometimes we're at the effect of somebody else's wrongdoing. But it's still God's universe and things are still in his control. Hmm. So, you know, if we're hanging on to that thing that was taken, you know, what you possess possesses you. Right. As they say, you're being possessed by something now that you can't ever get back. Man. And, and the only one who can free you is yourself. So it's our, good stuff. It's juicy stuff. It yeah. is. And, you know... Does it mean that, you know, we need to give everything away? I mean, maybe at some point, you know, a lot of people in Bible were called to give everything away, you know, true. follow Jesus, you know, so we shouldn't write it off as an impossibility. Um, but is that necessarily necessary? No, not necessarily. You know, you can be married and then you have to worry about the concerns of your spouse, yeah. you know, but you're still doing kind of God's will in there. Single people uh, can concern themselves, you know, with the concerns of God. So... If you've got family or other people depending on you, you know, you not, may not be in a position to, you know, throw all their stuff to the road and say, you know, we're going minimalist. Um, but even that is, um, is a small community. And so the individual is absorbed into that family community. So on an individual level, you are giving all of your possessions to mm, others, which yes. is this smaller community that you've built around yourself or that's been built around you. So in a sense, you're still practicing a letting go because, you know, it, the ego says, well, I could have had a cool sports car, but no, now I've got to drive a minivan, you know, you know, you th th things point. like that, little, little practical things like that. But essentially, yeah, you're still giving away your possessions to a community of people. See, Adam is a progenitor. I have <laughs> not yet um, multiplied myself upon the earth. Okay. So we just keep multiplying. Hey, but I think we're being <laughs> I think we're being faithful to God's very first command, which was be fruitful and multiply. multiply. Yeah, and that's what we're doing. Yeah. yeah. Yep. I like the being fruitful part. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Can I say that on the air? I don't know. That's scandalous. I, I just did. Greg's not listening. He's preparing other things. <laughs> I'm doing way too many other things over here at one time. I'm just like <laughs> multitasking. It takes a village uh, to make the show happen. Um, okay, so when it comes to uh, people taking your stuff from him who takes away your goods, do not ask them back. You know, uh, I think we've said enough on it. It's an unfortunate situation when that kind of stuff happens. It's happened yeah. to me. I've walked into my house. Somebody's taking stuff. I've been stopped on the side of the road. You know, people give me everything in your pockets, you know, sort of deal. Yeah. You know, uh, I've had a few of these sorts of things happen. And, but in the end, I find that, you know, you go with the flow. If anything, you send them off with a blessing. You remember that, you know, pray for your enemies. Love those who despitefully use you. You know, pray for those, you know. And so it's like they're in some part of their life. They're having some situation, you know, so don't make yourself the victim. If anything, they're the victim of some demoralizing force that is, you know, bringing them down a dark path. Right. They're not happy either, you know. Uh Homeless people. So, you know, there are homeless people in every town all over the world. And uh, if you're driving in your car, you may be looking at one right now. Don't turn away. Okay. Here's the thing. The Buddha says, now look, you, you say, I don't have any money to give this guy. I'm working 
a, a lot of hours. I get so much money. I got to you know take care of my kids. I don't have the extra to give it to people who may or may not use it for drugs and alcohol, who, you know, it may or may not help, you know, as much as it's going to help me. Well, here's what the Buddha says. He says, even your smile can be an act of charity. That is so beautiful. Now we have no reason to turn away. Now you're not empty handed when you see a homeless man look at you. You might not be able to give him anything, but you can give him a smile. Because you know what they're doing? They're sitting out there and they're watching the rest of the world, the hustle and bustle go by, and nobody's paying them any mind. Everybody's looking past them or right through them. But you can acknowledge them. You can smile, smile at them. And that brings them into the community. That gives them love. And that's an act of charity. Absolutely. I have heard that a lot um, talking with our homeless friends here in Memphis. We we actually have made a lot of homeless friends, my family and I. We've been active in the homeless community um, through Mana House here in Memphis, which is a house of hospitality, where essentially they just invite the homeless community in and say, hey, here's some coffee. Here's a place to sit and chill and hang out and talk um, and warm up if it's cold or cool off if it's hot. Um, and we've kind of extended that into our family business, which is Imagine Vegan Cafe, where we um, we invite the homeless uh, to be welcome. Um, you can pick anything off of the menu. We will feed you at no charge. Um, you can come in and use our restrooms. You can, it, again, just like Mana House, if it's, um, if it's cold outside, you can warm up. If it's hot, you can come in and cool down. Um, and we've made a lot of friends. And, and one of the things, it's really interesting you talk about this, this um the Buddha encouraging people just to smile. That's an act of charity. And it is. And, and it's perceived that way um, by the homeless community. A lot of them mm. say, if, if some people would just smile and acknowledge us, you know, even if they don't give me a dime, it, it just is this amazing experience just to know that you care, just to know that there's love. But so many people, they turn a blind eye or they give them a dirty look or flip them the bird or, you know, just yeah. something awful. You know I mean? I've, I've even seen people uh, riding their little, the, these little scooters that they've got, these little motorized scooters, they'll jump off and kick a homeless guy. I, I actually literally saw that in Nashville one night. Wow. My family and I saw that. And it's like, what? why would you do that? You yeah. know, but, you know, as you said, the Buddha says, just offer him a smile. Yeah. It, humanity costs nothing. Exactly. Yeah. And, and it means so much to yeah. them. Yeah. It really does. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, it is kind of terrible some of the things you see people doing and the way they treat homeless. And, you know, it's like, you know, kids, you know, they're used to bullying people. And until you've been on the other side of such a thing, yeah, you don't really realize like the severe impact that you're having on this other person. And people, you know, who don't treat you know homeless people like people, you know, what goes around comes around. You know, they're going to learn their lesson and everything. But obviously, it'd be better if we all just had common sense and you know knew not to mistreat other people. But absolutely. Another uh, idea is uh, keeping something on hand. So mm. my. An idea I recommend is, like, if you go to Costco or something, get a big box of chips, you know, like multi-pack, 50 bags of little chips, and keep them in your back seat on the floor. And whenever you, and and things like this, you know, then you'll be looking out for homeless people. Mm -hmm. They'll be like, Pokemon, got to catch them all. Like, I look for homeless people. Like, I feel bad when they're on the other side of it because I got stuff I can give them. Yeah. But when you got nothing to give them, right. naturally, you want to get away because you're, you're a little bit ashamed, you're a little bit sad because you have nothing to give them. What if they make eye contact, you got to tell them no. That hurts right. sometimes as much as being told no sometimes. So it's like, you know, if if you can do something like that or something where you got a multiple of, you got a bunch of socks, you know, socks is the number one thing that homeless people need. Keep them, keep them sitting around. Old shoes, keep them in your car. Anything you give away, the time will come. I had a pair of uh, size 10 and size 13 shoes. You know, got to find a way. Guy com- came up to me, had the 10s. I said, what size are you? Size 10. Sure enough. A few weeks later, wow. another guy, right at the time, what size are you? Size 13. It was in my hand. hand right. I didn't have to, I didn't have a size 7 come through that I didn't have. Yeah. You know, God gave exactly what I had. So have on hand what you have, and then, you know, God will find the perfect person for you to give it to. You know, yeah. you don't have to throw it away. You don't have to despair. you got stuff. That is such a great idea. Love that. Um, yeah. You know, the Bible says don't just, like, give somebody a prayer, like, when they're cold. Give them a blanket, too. Yeah. 
And Steiner says also the opposite. He says, you know, don't just give somebody physical, something physical, but give them spiritual food with whatever you give them. Right, right. It makes perfect sense. And you, you see Jesus model both of those behaviors. You see, you know, you see both of those in his life. And he said, man does not live on bread alone. Mm-hmm. And he modeled that. He, he, would, he would feed the thousands that were gathered. Um, and he would meet their needs. He would heal the sick that were coming to them. And then he would tell them truth. Mm-hmm. You know, so I think that the, he was modeling that for us. He was saying, hey, here's how you meet physical and spiritual needs at the same time. Mm-hmm. They're, they're both critical. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, whatever position you're in, just try to take care of the inside and the outside of the man. How much time we got? We're doing pretty good? Okay. Okay. We're going to... We're going to take a little break before we come back into our next subject. Um, we're going to talk about Christ, Lucifer, the devil, and other things. My past hmm. life as a gangbanger. Stay tuned for that. And uh, what's going on next week also. We're going to broach uncomfortable subjects. So if you're not seated correctly in your chair, please adjust yourself to the optimal sitting position. I'm adjusting right now. Being adjusted. Okay, because I just saw something great we're going to add to this. So we're talking about Christ. We're talking about Lucifer. We're talking about Satan. St. Michael. Okay. Mary. Who are these people? Mm. Well, I'm going to give you a rundown of what theosophical teachings and the, the mystical traditions, the significance they place on these beings. Christ, also known as the Logos, and Zoroastrianism, known as Ahura Mazda. Yeah, it's not just a car. And the first begotten son <laughs> of God. What What is this this punny word, son, son of God? Yeah. It's, it's punny. It because is. Because it's being used in a couple contexts. In the physical aspect, the physical son, yeah. you know, it is the covering or the outer layer of the spiritual son of Mm. god the first begotten son of god according to steiner before the mystery of golgotha happened you know we had earlier epochs of earth's history and it goes way back into what he calls a early saturn period which was just a period of warmth and then there was an old sun period uh which is a period of of light beings and then an old moon, which is where we get our plants, our animals, our lower nature desires. The sun and the moon actually pulled off of the earth. They were all combined at one point. And they became hmm. these separate entities. But the spheres, okay, so like the lunar sphere, the moonlight, that spectrum of light, it not only still holds beings, it still, it still veils them around us. So if we can move into that seeing that spectrum of light will clairvoyantly perceive these lunar beings. Hmm. Okay. Um, so there's a, a lot of levels of these beings. There's a story level, there's their name, there's what, what they've been called, there's their physical representation, and then there's their, you know, spiritual background. You know, how did they get to this place? You know, uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to break out something that's not on this piece of, you know, our outline here. Steiner talks about this idea that there was two Jesus children. Hmm. And where this comes from is there's two genealogies of Jesus. There's yeah. one in Matthew, one in Luke. Yeah. And a lot of people know or don't know that they conflict. They're not the same. They've Correct. got different people in there. Uh-oh, Bible's contradicting itself. Well, according to Steiner, there was 
two mothers and uh, two mother Marys, two Marys and two Josephs and two Jesuses. And the Bible from both of these gospels is telling all the way up to the time where they went to Jerusalem, where Jesus started talking to the scholars and all that. Up until that time, they were moving as one family. And then the uh, Matthew Jesus child, which uh, I believe is the offspring of, of uh, Solomon, because it was when it came off the lineage of Nathan, the Nathaniel uh, Jesus child, as Steiner calls him, and then there's a Solomon Jesus child that came down that lineage. Mm. And when their, their families were on their way into the city, remember Jesus got lost in the crowd? And then they found okay. him teaching. Yeah. Well, in that process, the I, which is the the capital I, the spirit, the most core person of the of the Matthew Jesus child, moved over, uh, which came from Zoroaster. By the way, these these beings they are connected to uh, ancient deities, and they had inhabited these beings before they came and lived this incarnation as Christ. And two beings, these two Jesus children combined. One of the Ch- Jesus children died. And his eye moved over into the other body of the other Jesus child. And then all of a sudden that Jesus child becomes enlightened with all the teachings of Zoroaster. So now he's teaching. This is how he became wise almost overnight. They didn't recognize him. And he's teaching now all the Pharisees and Sadducees. The Jesus child then that, that sent off that part of his soul that went into the other one, he ended up dying. And Mary got sick. And then... Joseph got sick in the other family. So what happened is these two families combined. Hmm. So now there was, again, one Jesus child from the two marriages, one Joseph, and one Mary. And that's how they came about. They were two distinct, identical families, which Steiner points out at that time, Mary and Joseph were popular names. Okay. okay? Yeah. So, I mean, it wouldn't have been like, okay, impossible. But that, in a lot of things, makes sense, you know, as far as contradictions go. Yeah. And you realize that there's two events taking place. But I don't have anything to lose by telling you all that, even though it's making your brain fall out of your ears. But uh, I, I think it's cool to add that because I, I had never heard that specific scenario before. I've I've heard a lot of theories about the differences in the genealogies because it's there and yeah. you can't deny it. Yeah, it's there, so you've got to do something with it. And I've heard it wrestled with in in various different ways that people deal with that. But that's the first time that I've heard that particular version so that it's kind of cool to add it and, yeah. and you know let people kind of go okay yeah he wrote a book called the fifth gospel the fifth gospel and uh check it out by rudolf steiner also while you're checking out things in jesus's earlier life uh look up uh the aquarian gospel of jesus the christ the hmm. aquarian gospel of jesus the christ is amazing and it talks about his time when he was unaccounted for in the bible him teaching and being taught in India and in China and meeting the masters and receiving the initiation from uh, the Hierophant and all the mystery teachings. Mm. So, you know, yeah, he went from carpenter to being massively educated in the highest schools of thought to becoming the Christ and beginning his ministry. That's really cool. And I think that that kind of comes back to something we've talked about before, that, that the Christ is not limited to just one path or one religion. Um, but that the Christ, the the universal, the cosmic Christ, can be encountered through a lot of different paths. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So I think it's kind of cool to to see that there are accounts of Jesus actually learning the different paths and teaching yeah. those paths as well. That was so, the weird part yeah. for me is he was learning. What? <laughs> yeah. I thought he came, you know, like a, a zip file full of all the information. You know, like <laughs> no, he was he was you know, having lessons and he was going through and he was actually really proving himself by going through these tests and everything. He was showing, you know, he could master all of, you know, but he, he was taught too. Mm. Okay. So the light bearer, Lucifer, AKA the fallen one, the morning star, Prometheus, who stole the fire of the gods, the snake in the garden. Okay. I was listening to, I was watching this video as of the Vatican mass and they were singing something in Latin and they mentioned that Lucifer was Jesus's brother. And I said, oh, there they go again. Okay. There they go. Seeing <laughs> some other shenanigan over there. Uh, no offense if you're uh, Catholic. But then later on in my studies, studying uh, theosophy, Madame Blavatsky and others, they talk about 
Lucifer basically being the brother of Jesus. And so now I'm like, okay, like there's a lot of people trying to, you know, send us to hell here. They can't, they can't be telling us these things. How could that be? That's blasphemy. And then as I read deeper into, well, who is Lucifer? Who is the Christ? You know, what is the logo? And, and, you know, what was the significance of Lucifer in terms of, you know, his knowledge, the wisdom that he brought? He was the light bearer. What is the light? It is knowledge and wisdom. He was, you know, beautiful. So, yeah, he got caught up, but he, and that brought a downfall, but he was originally, and he still sustains a purpose in this world. Hmm. He gives us our individuality, our individual ego identities, which is necessary for us to have an individuation for this part of our spiritual development and so when we die steiner actually says we'll be confronted by lucifer and people who didn't believe in lucifer that much more they'll be even more confronted and enslaved by lucifer hmm. so and along these lines steiner also mentions that people monists people who are materialists who don't necessarily believe in satan he says when they go into their meetings to talk about materialistic things, that they are most quite literally evoking the devil. The people who don't believe in the devil the most are the people who are most grabbed by the neck, by the devil, and never even recognize it. Right. That actually makes a lot of sense. So the more you think yeah. the devil doesn't exist, the tighter he literally has his hand around you. And he and Lu and this is we're talking about Satan now, which is different than Lucifer. And, and Satan's thing is he doesn't want to be believed in. He doesn't want people to know he, he's there. And mm. so he succeeds when you don't believe. Okay? So that's just a little something. Um, the point is to be vigilant. Keep your eyes open. So there's three pillars. Uh, in the middle pillar, we have the Christ. On the left, let's say, we have uh, Satan. And then we'll say Lucifer is on the right side. Okay. Lucifer gives us our sense of individuation and he permeates all of everything. Araman, aka Akhenaten, aka Satan, okay, the dragon, his permeating spirit brings materiality into manifestation. So the manifestation of this uh, microphone, of the signage, of this tables is brought through the influence of Satan who, through the use of of the measurement of uh, unit, weight, and uh, quantity, uh, this is how Lucifer measures things in terms of metrics like this. And this is how the physical world is coming to manifestation. Those lunar animal beings I was talking about, they manifest as physical beings because of Aramad, because of Satan, his, his portion, his part. And he's necessary. That's why he's still here. That's why he's here in the first place. But here's the thing about Lucifer and Armand is they work and they put obstacles in our path. On their in their extreme, uh, being Luciferic or Satanic obviously is destruction. But for the time, they're necessary. And and the Christ pillar balances those two forces. So we're balancing the individuation. And in the extreme of Lucifer, according to Steiner. Lucifer would have us all be good, believe it or not, but robotically good. He would cut us off from other dimensions. Mm -hmm. He would make us into uh, animatronic, uh, automatic robots that basically go around and and they don't think for themselves. They just do what they're supposed to, but there's no free will in them. And that's the problem is we need our free will intact. And the Luciferic path doesn't offer that. And obviously the satanic path takes somebody right into materialism. So with the Christ path, we're able to marry those together and have the experience we're supposed to have. That is very interesting stuff. Isn't that? I know it's kind of long-winded and stuff, but... Uh, it's a lot of information. Yeah. Yeah. Because the thing is, I'm, I'm putting a lot of foreign subjects out there and trying to make them make any kind of sense. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and then there's also Mother Mary. What's her significance? I've never been a Mother Mary person, but it turns out she represents the soul. Whom man... Okay, man is in the womb of the woman. The soul, Mary, is where Christ is born into. Mm. So when you're reading your books and everything, think about that. Like, your soul is going to bear the Christ. And when we're talking about Mother Mary, we're actually talking about your soul. And when we're talking about Jesus, we're talking about the Christ in you. Mm. 
Wow. So all of a sudden, Mother Mary becomes interesting. Absolutely. And that's how, you know, the Orthodox see her too. But obviously, we just see idols and things like that, right. statues. We don't think anything of the soul. But that's where she representative. Uh, we've only got a couple minutes. And I don't know if I should go into my past life as a gangbanger or not. I think people are wanting to know. I think I can throw it out there real quick. Um, so I was working at the Church of Scientology. And I said, uh, and I was studying past lives before I went to bed. And I said, God, please show me one of my past lives. So I went to sleep and I woke up in front of this giant IMAX screen. It was this giant screen. It's huge and kind of winding a little bit around me. And it started to, and I saw myself standing there and it started to play this video. And I instantly recognized myself as being one of the people in this car. We're driving from California to Mexico. Uh, I was a black guy. I'm a white guy now. And I was in my upper teens, lower 20s, and I was a gangbanger, and, which is kind of the opposite of my personality now. But it explains a lot about my current life. But anyway, so we get down to Mexico. I go into a bar, and I start talking a lot of smack to this rival gang. Then uh, I get them riled up, and then we all jump in our car, and we drive out into the desert. And we're standing around our car, smoking and drinking. And out of the corner of my eye in the distance, I see uh, these other guys, their car coming down in the distance and they're on their way over. And I became speechless at this point because I recognized that I was about to die. And sure enough, uh, moments later, the guy I was just talking all the smack to his head comes up from behind the shoulders of my friends who didn't know. Cause I was speechless and he puts up a gun and he shoots and it shoots me in the neck, the right side of my neck. And then I felt this massive buzz feeling. And then I shot up into the sky and everything got small. And all of a sudden I'm in, in front of this giant IMAX screen again. And I said, whoa, because now I had remembered all this. It wasn't like I was like piecing together. It was like, that's my history. Like it was just happened to me. Wow. Uh, as a memory. And so I said, show me the whole thing again, but give me pen and paper so I can write it down. Thinking if I write it down, I'll remember it when I woke up and I did. So then that night I went up, went to the org, got home, got on the computer. And then I was reading something about past lives before I'd gone to bed the night prior. So that was up. And I felt this pain in my neck and I touched it and I couldn't I looked in the mirror in the bathroom and there's this huge pimple very tall and like you'd never seen right where I'd re-stimulated my death injury twice the night before so that had a physical manifestation because of that but anyway uh, that changed a lot of things for me and put a lot of things in perspective we're getting ready to end the show um, so I'm just gonna uh, say goodbye here with Adam Next week, we will have our Jürgen uh, Zurian from uh, the author Multidimensional Man. This is to Infinities and others. Uh, visit us on Facebook, facebook.com slash spiritual realities. Email me at robert at new precept. And Adam. You can check out some of the other work that I'm doing in the world at uh, 3dayflight.com. That's where my wife and I make music, 3dayflight.com. And we also make food here in Memphis at Imagine Vegan Cafe. Yum, 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 yum. ImagineveganCafe.com. Thanks again for having me, Robert. All right. Thanks for being here.